you, brothers. Let's go to Genesis 22, and we want to continue with this that we have been on, a covenant of blood. And uh, this, uh, the Lord told me one time, he said, the thing that changed your life was the revelation of covenant. And uh, he let me know to preach that consistently. And so uh, we're doing our part. We'll be on this most of the year, all year. And uh, a covenant of blood. There's some things to remember, and we have went over these in each message, but we'll continue to go over it because uh, it's important that we're hearing it. Things to remember. Number one, I have a covenant. I have a covenant. Say that out loud. I have a covenant. Say it one more time. I have a covenant. Now, this is important because I have this. All right, presently, I have a covenant. Number two, the Bible is a covenant book sealed with blood on both ends. Uh, the blood of bulls and goats in the first part, the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus, the second part. It's important, I believe, that we don't refer to it so much as the old covenant and the new covenant, but the first covenant and the second covenant. Uh, now, that's important. Because of a covenant mindset, which brings us to number three. A covenant mindset is a requirement for strong faith. It's a requirement for strong faith. Hallelujah. And then you always believe what God said, number one, about himself. What did God say about himself? You know, we live in a time and we live in a society where you've got unbelievers wanting to tell believers what God said. I've had people argue with me, well, Jesus never said anything about that. Well, you're a sinner. You don't know. You have no idea what Jesus said. You don't even believe Jesus enough to come to church. And, and, and right? Don't, don't let people tell you what God said. You got to find out what God said. Is that right? Well, what did God say about himself? You can write these down. We won't go to them. Titus chapter 1, verse 2 said, God cannot lie. Cannot lie. Not won't. Cannot. You'll see other versions and other uh, translations or paraphrases, and they'll say, God who doesn't lie or God who won't lie. That, that's bad because it leaves you with the idea that God can. God cannot lie. God won't lie because he can't lie. Amen. I love everybody under the sound of my voice, and I know you love me. I don't believe you would lie to me, but you could. You could lie if you wanted to. Amen. God can't. When God says something, it's truth. Because he can't lie. And he can't lie because God binds himself to his word. If you tell a lie, it's because your word carries no weight with you. When God says something, he intends to bring it to pass because his word is out there. Right? I wrote down, one time I was studying, I wrote down in my journal, if I say I will, I will. If I say I won't, I won't. Now that sounds simple, but if God says he will do something, he will do it. If God says he won't do something, he won't. If God says this is the pattern you must follow to see me move in your life, that's the pattern you must follow. Because he won't change and he cannot lie. Is that right? 
Hebrews 13.8. What does it say? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, today, for what he was yesterday, he is today, and he'll be that tomorrow. Paul said we had the sentence of death in ourselves. We were, we were overwhelmed with what we had. He said, but God delivered us. And he said, here's what we believe. The God that did deliver us does deliver us, and we trust he will deliver us. Why? Because he doesn't change. Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, and he is not the son of man that he should repent. Now, why is that important? God will never have to repent of lying. Why? He can't lie. You never have to repent for what you can't do. Now notice what it says. Has he said, and shall he not do it? Has he spoken it, will he not make it stand? Do you see that? Now, the, now we're going to read another one, but that's what God said about himself. God said he can't lie. God said he's the same. God said, he doesn't lie, so he'll never have to repent. If he said it, he'll do it. Then Malachi 3, 6, we didn't read that today, but it was right before verse 7 where we start. He was talking about to the sons of Jacob, to the covenant people that were not tithing correctly. And what did he say? He said, I'm the Lord and I don't change. And what did he say? That's why you're not consumed. Well, why is that important? Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, I am the faithful God that keeps mercy and covenant for a thousand generations. So not only does he keep covenant, he's merciful. Aren't you glad he's merciful? Aren't you glad he hasn't changed? And that his mercy still endures forever. And that every morning his mercies are new. We can depend on that because he doesn't change. And he doesn't lie. See, when people say, I feel like God's abandoned me, they think God can lie. They think God can change. He's the one that said, I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the one that said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Even to the end of the age, I'll always be here. Call on me and I will answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things. Things that you've never had knowledge of. All you got to do is call me and I'll answer. Because I can't change. It's just in me. I don't change. I don't lie. I can't change. I can't lie. I can't break my word to you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Just can't do it. See, that's a covenant mindset. If God said it, God's going to do it. Because He can't lie. Woo. Then you have to believe what God said about His Word. Isaiah 55, 11, It says, So shall my word be when it goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me void. The, the, the Word is empty. Fruitless. Now, why does God's Word not return empty? Because He never speaks empty words. God, the Bible says every word of God is filled with power. The word of God has the power to bring itself to pass. Because it's a living thing. So when God says something, it doesn't return to him without accomplishing what he said. 
Now, someone will say, yeah, but I knew so-and-so. That doesn't matter. What did God say? Well, I knew so-and-so that that believed in that seed time and harvest, and it didn't work for them. I'm sorry, what did God say? Your experience does not matter if it contradicts what the Word said. That's kind of quiet. It's, it's, it's because we've grown up in this no-fault religion, not many, all of you, but some, grown up in this no-fault religion that if something happens, it must have been God. Either He did it or He didn't do what He would say. Well, here's what that does, my family, my brother, sister. It takes your faith out of the equation. In other words, God didn't do it, and it's not your fault. Well, why did God not do what He promised? See, when you say that, what what are you going to say? That he lied? How how can you say that and not say he lied? Did Jesus say, give and it will be given to you? Did he say that? So if someone says, I gave and it didn't work, what are they saying? God lied. Well, I'm not saying God lied. Then what are you saying? He forgot about you? He said he can't do that. He said you're tattooed to the palm of his hand. And he sees you every day. So he can't just forget about you. Oh, he's putting me through a test. No, that's a lie because the Bible said God doesn't test people that way. See, a covenant mindset is God's bound by his word. My part is faith and obedience. And honesty. I went to the Lord before and said, Now, Lord, that didn't happen. You told me that was going to happen, and it didn't happen. And I'll tell you why. I know why it didn't happen. It's me. I heard a minister say one time, you, you know, you make people feel bad when you tell them there's nothing wrong with the Word, nothing wrong with God, and there's only one imperfect denominator in there. That's me. Well, can God lie? Can the word be wrong? If God says do things a certain way and this will happen, if I do it a certain way, will it happen? So if it doesn't happen, God lied or his word was wrong or just maybe. I missed it. Hallelujah. You know, it's like talking to a guy about his marriage and he goes, my wife's mad. And you go, why? I don't know. Yes, you do. You know. (laughs) You don't have to be married more than six weeks to know that's wrong. She didn't just get mad. (laughs) Moving right along. Number three, what he will do. Always believe what God said about what he would do. How would God respond to certain things? You know, don't go ask a stranger how my wife would respond to something. Come ask me. Because I know. What did God say that he would do? What did God promise? I'll hear people that say, well, you know, you know, I know what God said about my children, but, you know, my children are living like the devil. Well, number one, who are you speaking like? Confession means to say the same thing. That's not what God said. 
God said, I'll contend with them that contend with you, and I'll save your children. He said, there's hope in your latter end, saith the Lord, that your children will come again from the land of the enemy, that they'll grow up by the willow, by the willow courses, like, 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 like uh, willows by the water. And one will surname himself by the name of Israel, and another will call him Jacob. Amen? And he said, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your children will come again from the land of the enemy. It said, in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Is that right? Yes, so, so that means instead of saying the wrong thing, you need to be reserving a seat for them in church because they're going to show up and be touched by God. Amen. Amen. So the covenant that God made with Abraham is the basis of our relationship with God. Genesis 22. And let's look here beginning in verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham out of heaven the second time. And he said, by myself. Have I sworn, saith the Lord. In other words, I've sevened myself. I've, binded, I've bound myself to this. For because you've done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, in blessing I'll bless you, multiplying I'll multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Hmm. And in your seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. So God made a covenant promise to Abraham that one of his descendants would bless all nations of the earth. And we know from previous messages that that descendant is Christ. The Amplified Bible says that in blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, the sands of the seashore, and your seed, your heir, shall possess the gates of his enemies. Upon my rock, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He'll possess the gates of his enemies, and in your seed, Christ, shall all nations of the earth be blessed, and by him bless themselves, because you've heard and obeyed my voice. Amen. Now, Matthew 1.1, you can look at Matthew 1.1. It says this. It's a very simple verse. It says, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Remember, he said to Abraham, one of your descendants will bless the whole earth and by it bless themselves. So the Bible tells us two things. It tells us that he is the son of David. Why? He had to be in the lineage of David to be the king. That's the kingly line. Then he had to be in the lineage of Abraham to be the covenant descendant. He had to be the covenant descendant to bring us into the covenant. Oh, glory. Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham. It's, it's, it's in his genealogy. Romans 8, 17 says that we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Of what? The covenant. If we're children, children of who? God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. See, I have a covenant. Yes. Yes, sir. Amen. Let's look at Galatians 3. I hope you brought your turning finger or your writing pad. Because we got a lot to get into. And you know what? If we don't get into all of it, we'll just pause and pick up tonight. Amen. Amen. And you can join us, watch us online, however you want to do it. Say out loud, I have a covenant. I have a covenant. 
Say it one more time. I have a covenant. Notice what he says, uh, Galatians 3.29. If you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed. Now, we stop right there. That's something that, by and large, in the church, people overlook and don't focus on. Because they're, 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 they're worried because of some of the teaching that goes around. Well, the Bible said this, and Galatians was written to who? Gentiles. It was written to Gentiles. We spent about 16 Wednesdays dealing with this, all right? Or, or there about what, seven Wednesdays, dealing with just teaching line by line from the book of Galatians. Paul is dealing with Gentile believers that Judaizers have come in and try to bring them back under the law. Amen. And notice what Paul says. He says, if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. What promise? The promise God made Abraham. So I am the seed of Abraham. You're the seed of Abraham. Do you see this? Abraham has two seeds. The natural seed of Israel and the spiritual seed of Israel. Yet Romans chapter 2 tells us that he's not a Jew that's one outwardly. But a Jew is one that's one inwardly. And circumcision is not that which is of of the flesh. But that which is of the heart. One translation says, so we see that circumcision is a spiritual matter and not a natural one. Circumcision was the sign of covenant. And he said it would be an everlasting sign of covenant. It was, it was, that's, that sign was in a position and in a place on the body that by and large, others did not see it. But that person That person that had the sign of the covenant was aware of it consistently. I cannot see your heart. God looks on the heart. Why does God look on the heart? God looks on the heart because that's where the sign of covenant is at. God looks at you in your spirit. And that's why when you were born again, old things passed away All things became new. You became a new creature in Christ. What happened? Your old life was circumcised. It was cut away. It was cut off. It was done away with. And the new covenant man or woman appeared. If I'm Christ, I'm Abraham's seed. And heirs of the promise. See, that's why you got to believe I've got a covenant. I've got a covenant. I've got proof on my heart. I belong to God. Your changed life is proof that you have a covenant with God. The fact that you don't do what you used to do is proof that you have a covenant with God. It's not just proof that you're saved like we say. It's proof that you have a covenant with God and you have a right to certain things because your life is hid with Christ in God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Say it one more time. I have a covenant. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 That's what that's why the Bible said, you remember the Bible said in Exodus chapter 12. He said, the destroyer is going to pass through the land. And he said, what you need to do is take the blood of that lamb and put it on the lintel post and on the, on the cross post of that door. And he said, it will be a token. It will be evidence. It will be a sign. 
What is it a token or an evidence of? It's not just a token and an evidence that there's blood on that door. It's a token, it's evidence, it's proof that there are covenant people that reside within that house and you are not allowed to destroy here. Ah, in the Spirit, the token, the proof, the evidence is on your heart that you belong to God. You are a covenant person. No devouring is allowed here because I have a covenant. I have it. I have it. I have it. I have it. One translation says, since you belong to Christ, it follows that you are Abraham's offspring and under the promise sharers in the inheritance. Hallelujah. So because we're in Christ, we're partakers of the covenant God made with Abraham. We were brought into the covenant by the grace of God and through faith in Christ. Ephesians 2.8 says, but, but by grace are you saved through faith. Our part of the covenant is faith and obedience. By grace, you are saved through faith. Grace brought me into the covenant. I have to put faith in the covenant that I've been brought into. Grace brought me into the benefit package. Hallelujah. Salvation is not just something that you were saved from sin. It's part of the package of salvation. It was included in that package of salvation. Salvation from my sin. Deliverance from my old life. But that package of salvation came to you because you were brought into a covenant that God made with Abraham that included the salvation of your life. Oh, glory to God. Oh, glory to God. You cannot be born again without the blood of Jesus. When we were cleansed by the blood, we were brought into the covenant God made with Abraham. It was part of it. When you got saved, you became Abraham's seed. Nothing you have to do, you just became. That's what you became. Saved by the blood. Brought into the covenant by the blood. Now here's where a mistake very often is made. Is the distinction between covenant and law. And what you'll do is you'll hear people say. They'll say, you'll hear ministers say, well under the old covenant. Under the old covenant with its system of animal sacrifices. Well here's the problem with that. There has to be a distinction between the two. The covenant. We'll read this in a minute. The covenant was given when there was no law. Do you understand? The first covenant has not passed away. Why? The Bible says in Genesis 17, verse 7, it's an everlasting covenant. It says in verse 13, it's an everlasting covenant. It says in verse 19, it's an everlasting covenant. The covenant that God made with Abraham, that we were brought into. You see other covenants in the Bible, but they were covenants with that man for his dispensation for the time that he lived. The Bible does not say David's covenant is an everlasting covenant, except for the fact that David will have an everlasting priest, uh, kinghood. His kingdom will not pass away. God said there will never be a lack of an heir on the king from you, David. Amen. The, the Noahic covenant. 
There are parts of that promise that God made Noah and made a covenant with him. They don't apply to us because they were for him and his family. The part of that covenant that applies to us is every time you see a rainbow, you know that we have a covenant with God that says he'll never ever destroy the earth with water again. Isn't that great? See, if I don't, if I don't understand that, somebody will say, well, the old covenant. Well, what do you mean by that? If you mean law, I agree. If you mean covenant, I disagree. And, and here's why. The first covenant, the covenant that God made with Abraham, and remember he said nine times in Genesis 17, this is my covenant. I'm entering into this covenant with you. See, salvation has nothing to do with you because you didn't save you. The reason why God can lay the ground rules is God does the saving. That's why you can't get saved and live however you want because God saved you and so you get saved and live how He tells you because He saved you. Is that right? You know, when you go out to dinner with somebody, now maybe you do this, if you do, just act like you don't. But you know, if you go out to dinner with somebody and they say, I'm paying, I'm going to buy dinner and you agree to that. And then the waitress comes and says, y'all want some guacamole? You want some queso dip? Well, you're being paid for. You're not paying. So you don't pipe up and say, yeah, bring us some at queso. You're not paying. Who gets to say? The one that's paying. See, in the day and age we live in, oh boy. I, well, you know, I'm saved. The Lord just understands. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Did you understand what I mean by that? He set the ground rules. If you're saved, this is how you act. This is called church sermon. He said, when you get saved, what do you do? Come out from among them and be separate. Touch not, taste not, handle not the unclean thing. Why? I have a covenant. Is that right? Is that right? You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are both God's. Why? He paid for it. My life is not my own. It's been paid for. I don't get to live my life ever how I want. I, I got I to gotta see what he said and then construct my life based on what he said instead of trying to get God to change what he wanted so I can have what I want. Everybody wants the will of God, but the will of God requires a bending of your will to his will because he's in charge. Amen. When you, when you hear somebody talking about how, well, you know, God understands. Stop it. Turn them off. Run from them. The, the, the reason, I don't know why I'm here, but I'm here for a reason. The reason the Bible tells you that you have dominion over sin is so you don't live in it. I can take dominion over sin. 
Sin shall not have dominion over me because I am not under law. I'm under grace. And grace includes the covenant. I am under a covenant that gives me the power and the ability to live above sin. The law gave man no power, no ability to overcome sin. It pointed out sin but gave him no power to overcome it. When you gave your life to Christ, you admitted that you were a sinner. God pointed out that you were a sinner and you said, I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And what happened? Your life was circumcised. Your life was changed and you became born again. Now, God is the one that saved you. God can tell you how you ought to live. Amen. If He owns me. Now see, we don't like that. But my, He said, my body and my spirit belong to God. Oh, that's, that, that was worth coming to church for. Mm. Look at Galatians 3 and 17. I'm, 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 we're still talking about law and covenant. This is, this is important as our salvation is concerned. Galatians 3, 17. And this I say, the covenant, everybody say, I have a covenant. The covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of no effect. Paul right there makes a clear distinction between the two, the covenant and the law. He says the covenant was 430 years before the law. And the law can't disannul the covenant. Do you see that? Abraham didn't need a law to serve God. Isaac didn't need a law to serve God. Jacob, as bad a rap as he gets, which is unjust, did not need a law to serve God. You can bring Joseph into it. He didn't need a law to serve God. There was no law until 430 years after God gave the covenant. Amen. Now why? Because Abraham was God's friend. You can write these down. 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 7 says he was God's friend. Isaiah 41 and 8 says Abraham was God's friend. James 2.23, in case you want a New Testament verse, says that he was God's friend. Hallelujah. A friend does not have to be made to do anything. Abraham was God's friend. That's why Abraham never broke covenant with God. Abraham sinned because the Bible says all have sinned. And, and you can see some mistakes. Twice he lied about his wife. That's a pretty glaring mistake. Ladies, that wouldn't be very nice. I said my wife is my sister. <laughs> Not going to work. But here's the point. He never broke covenant with God. He never disobeyed God. He never rebelled against what God asked him to do. Oh, hallelujah. Look at Romans 4 and 3. Hallelujah. I believe you're in the right place. Romans 4 and 3. What saith the scripture? 
Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. It was credited to him for righteousness. Abraham's faith is what God said made him righteous. Hallelujah. One translation says, And his faith was regarded by God as righteousness. His faith. Notice there's not a mention of law. No mention of law. When someone says the old covenant, under the old covenant, and then they'll talk about the blood of bulls and goats, that wasn't the old covenant. That was the law. It's important that you make that distinction. Because there are parts of the covenant that you can believe are done away with. And none of that covenant is done away with. The law, I'll show you, the law has passed away. For, for those of us that are saved. The world is still going to be judged by the law. If they don't get saved. But not us. Oh, hallelujah. Look, look, look. Why was the law enacted? Let's look at Galatians 3. Say out loud, I have a covenant. Galatians 3 and 19. Why was the law enacted? Wherefore then serveth the law? If the law was added... Because of transgressions. Do you see that? Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Who is the seed? Christ. Till Christ should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained, that law was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Moses was the mediator of the covenant. That's what John 1 says. Grace and truth. And it talks about how the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Christ. Moses was the mediator of the law. Jesus was the mediator and is the mediator of grace and truth. Hallelujah. But notice why the law was added. Because of man's transgressions. Is that right? Because of transgressions. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17 through 18... He said, think not that I'm come to destroy the law, but I'm come to fulfill it. In other words, that word means to give it completion. To settle it, to give it completion. So there had to, become, there had to come a completion to the dispensation of law. And Jesus said, that's what he came to do. We do not see law... Until we see people who had no regard for God and His covenant. Notice in Exodus 32. Now remember, you have a covenant. This is important. Verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Get down to your people, which you brought out of the land of Egypt. Isn't that interesting? He says, Get down to your people. Right, Get to your people that you brought out of Egypt. Why? They've corrupted themselves and turned aside out of the way, quickly out of the way that I commanded them. What's your part of the covenant? Faith and obedience. They've turned quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They've made a molten calf, worshipped it, sacrificed to it, and said, These are our gods, Israel, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Mm. 
I, I, I like that because that stiff neck, it means impudent, obstinate, stubborn. And then here's one I really like, in trouble. Oh, they're in trouble. Now notice, this is the beginning of their transgressions. This is where the law started. Remember, we'll read it to you from the book of Romans so you'll see it in the New Testament. God said the law pertained to the Israelites. Who did he give the law to? Israel. Who is he bringing out of bondage? Israel. Those were his covenant people. A few Wednesdays ago, we, we taught from the word that Jesus came, he said, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He said that over and over again. When he sent out the, the 12 and the 70, he said, don't go to the Gentiles or to any cities of, cities of Samaria. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The woman with the demon-possessed daughter came and said, Lord, help me. And he said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Is that right? Yes, sir. Why? He had to fulfill the prophecy. He came to his own and his own didn't receive him. For us to receive, they had to reject. Hallelujah. See, God's plan was for the whole world. But he had to get involved with Abraham and make promise to Abraham's descendants so he could get his promise into the earth. And he said to Abraham, one of your descendants will bless the entire earth. Hallelujah. And so Jesus came ministering to the nation of Israel. This law was given to Israel. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but because the blood of Jesus paid for everybody's sin, there's no excuse for no one to not be saved. And so because the blood of Jesus paid for everybody's sin, everybody that doesn't believe in Jesus has come under the, the rule of law in their life because they have not taken the blood of Christ, which is the entry into the covenant and the removal of law. Oh, hallelujah. Folks, you can't, you can't, you can't keep the two laws that Jesus talked about, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You, you cannot do that on your own. There has to be a realization that I have a power on the inside of me that's greater than that. Oh, hallelujah. So we don't see law till we see people who had no regard for God and His covenant. Here we see the beginning of their transgressions. That's where the law began. The law was given for what reason? Basically for parameters to keep the people of Israel in line so the covenant blessing could reside on their life. Remember, he didn't have to give a law to Abraham. Didn't have to give a law to Isaac. Didn't have to give a law to Jacob. Didn't have to give a law to you. You serve him because you love him. You live for him because you love him. Not because I'm made to. I'll hear people say, well, God made me do that. No, He didn't. didn't make you do nair thing. Not one thing. Why? Because you're a free moral agent. You can do whatever you want to. But when you realize a price has been paid, it changes everything. Oh, glory. 
Before Christ came, the law governed and pertained to natural Israel. God had no covenant with those outside of Israel. Notice Romans 9. Romans 9 and verse 4. Now, people could come into that system by becoming a proselyte. But here's the point. They had to become a proselyte to the Jews' faith. God was not out making covenant with Gentiles. The, the, the three instances where you see in, in the four Gospels where a Gentile was healed, the Roman centurion, the woman with the demon-possessed son or daughter, and, and the leper that was part of the ten that was a Gentile. In every instance, you see Jesus say, this was because of your faith. He didn't say because of your covenant. But yet we have an instance when Jesus was in the synagogue and the woman was there bowed over. Jesus, she didn't come to Jesus. Jesus called her to him. All three of the Gentiles came to Jesus. Why did they come to Jesus? Because Jesus wasn't going to the Gentiles. But he saw a, a, a Hebrew woman and he called her to him. Yes, hey, come here. Ought not this daughter of Abraham this covenant woman, shouldn't she be loosed? Is that right? Why did he go to her? He didn't say anything about her faith. You're loose from your infirmity. When he saw Zacchaeus in the tree, he went to Zacchaeus and said, hey, come down, i got to go to your house. Right? But when he stood there and Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give this amount to the poor. I'm going to give this amount to people that I've wronged. What did Jesus stand up and say? Today, salvation has come to his house, seeing he's a son of Abraham. You understand? So God was not out making covenant with Gentiles. The law was not given to the Gentile. It was given to the Jew. It was given to the Hebrews in this instance to keep them in covenant blessing. Hallelujah. I have a covenant. Romans 9, 4. Did you find it? Notice what it says. Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and... The giving of law and the service of God and the promises. Notice he said the Israelites are the ones that the giving of the law pertain to. Now make no mistake, before you were saved, you were under law. You had no hope. You were under law because Jesus who died and shed his blood freed you from the requirements of the law, but until you receive that blood, you, the requirements of the law are there. Oh, hallelujah. That, that's why you got to differentiate between the covenant and the law. You're under the covenant, not the law. Hallelujah. After Christ, the promised seed, came, the price for the sin of all mankind was paid through His blood. And He became the only way for forgiveness and the only way to be brought into the covenant. And because He perfectly kept the law for all mankind, all mankind became guilty and are held to the standard of the law. Look at Romans 3 
and verse uh, 19. Romans 3 and 19. Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So what does that mean? That word world is, is obviously a reference to those that are not saved, those that are not born again. And what's he say about them? They're all guilty before God. Why? Because they're in sin. Glory to God. Oh, glory. Isn't it interesting? In a day of grace, the ungodly live under the law. In the dispensation of grace, the ungodly are still laboring under the dispensation of law. Hallelujah. Romans 9 and verse 30. Notice what this says. What shall we say then that the Gentiles, now that's us, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. So we that were considered Gentiles obtain righteousness the same way our spiritual father did, by faith. You became righteous by faith, not by works. Do you see that? Think, think about this. Abraham was a Chaldean. He was in Ur of the Chaldees. Their main mode of worship was sun worship, moon worship, and star worship. But Genesis chapter 12 says that God came to Abraham, the initiator of the covenant, and God said, get out of your country, get away from your family to a land that I will show you. What's your part of the covenant? Faith and obedience. And it says, Abraham obeyed God. I don't know where he got his knowledge of God. I don't know what. The Bible doesn't tell us. But here's my, here's my point. It tells us in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was credited to him as right standing with God. And the Bible says that we are of the faith of Abraham. That the faith Abraham had is the faith that we have. When you were born again, you believed in, the, in, in Jesus Christ as your Lord. And you believed in His blood that it could cleanse you from all your sin. But that was your faith. By faith you became righteous. By faith in the blood of Jesus, you became in right standing with God. Justified, holy, made pure before God. How? By faith. By faith. Look at verse 31. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they sought it not by faith. They sought it by works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, Jesus they stumbled at Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. 
Hallelujah. That's what Peter said. He said, he said they've not believed because they, Jesus is a stumbling stone. Paul said it this way. He said, the cross of Christ. He said, he said, it's foolishness to the Jews and the Gentiles. He said, it's foolishness to the Greeks and it's an offense to the Jew. That's the stumbling stone. Oh, glory. He said, as it is written, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So natural Israel has not attained to righteousness even though they have a covenant with God because they've not placed faith in Christ. They have a covenant because they're the natural seed of Abraham. But they're trying to obtain righteousness through a system that's passed away. He said, notice what he said. He said, they're trying to do it by the works of the law. And he said, you can't do it. Is that right? So that system, not the covenant, that system of law has passed away. And, and, and I hesitate to say this because, because I, don't, I don't know what everybody in any given service believes. That's why you've got to be careful about, about uh, uh, teaching that wants you to get involved and celebrate all the feast days and, and build a booth and, and, and do all this celebration of feasts. Folks, that's all done away with. Well, it got quiet. A little low murmurs. That's all done away with. That was under law. I said that was under law. All of those, and, and all of those feast days were pointing to something. They were pointing to the Savior. Who did he give all those feast days to? People that were under the law. Abraham celebrated no feast days. He didn't have to. He was a friend of God. Yeah, but the Bible says they'll be forever. Forever in that dispensation. Forever till grace came. See, this is important. You, you can't be acting under law thinking it has some power in your life and expect the covenant to function. Well, you know, th this feast teaches us that we were delivered. I know, but we are delivered. Isn't it interesting that Paul never once told the New Testament church to celebrate feast days? I mean, all you got to do is open up your book and show me one place where it did, and I'll agree with you. See, th th this, this is important. Well, you know, it's the feast of this, and it's the feast of that. It's done away with. It's done away with in Christ. The only thing Paul told us to remember was the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. The system has passed away, not the covenant. That's where you say, I have a covenant. God blesses natural Israel because of the covenant he made with Abraham, even though they're attempting to be made righteous through a system that's passed away. Notice Romans 10. Romans 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. 
uh, bear them a record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Is that what it said? Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Can God lie? Can He change? Is Romans Holy Spirit inspired? Then He says that Christ is the end of the law for those that believe, not the end of the covenant. Because the covenant's everlasting. It's important. Amen. I've talked to people before. They'll say, well, you know, you know, if you ask them, are you righteous? Well, now, brother, you know what the Bible says. No, I do know what the Bible says. What do you think the Bible says? And I've had people tell me, well, you know, the Bible says there's none righteous. Well, it says that, but not the way you're saying it. He, he says that in the book of Romans. And he's speaking to the gr a group of Jews and a group of Gentiles. And the Gentiles are saying, we're, we're better because we don't keep law. And, right? and the Jews are saying, no, we're better because we keep all the feast days and, 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 we, and we keep the law. And Paul says, hey, 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 there's none righteous in themselves. No, not one. Both of you, you Gentiles and you Jews, you've both sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He says it's the end of law. For what purpose? Righteousness. To them that believe. Your part of the covenant is faith and obedience. They are ignorant of God's righteousness. By faith Abraham was counted righteous. They're trying to establish their own righteousness. By what? Law. By actions. And he said he's the end of the law, Christ is, where righteousness is concerned. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that doesn't mean that what you do doesn't matter. Because there are works of righteousness. When you really come to understand how righteous you are, your works change. See, covenant, <laughs> covenant is based on what God said. I've been brought into that. I'm righteous by faith. In right standing with God by faith. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. By faith. Right? Without law. And there are people you know and I know, they're going about trying to, trying to prove righteousness by something they do. We've got whole denominations. I was raised in one. I was raised holiness. Now, that's not all bad. Would God we had a little more holiness sometimes. But I, I'm talking about the outward expression. Dresses up to here. Sleeves down to here. Skirts down to here. What always puzzled me was the women were the ones that the law was put on. The men would come in looking dapper 
and looking in style. Up-to-date haircuts. I still see pictures. I, I, have, I know people that are holiness, and they'll take pictures in their churches. And the men are there, and they got, you know, nice high and tight haircuts, hard part. And a woman standing there with them looks like their grandma. It's their wife. And here's a 30-some-odd-year-old man look like he married up the tree. <laughs> he didn't rob the cradle. He robbed the grave. Put, put, put the women in bondage. Right? Well, that's what it is. It's bondage. As if God's happier with me because I don't wear makeup. Folks, the Bible says God makes all things beautiful in their time. Amen. God, God's not, but you understand why I'm saying that? We, people point fingers at the Jews. Yeah, they're trying to work, get righteous by their works. That's what that person's doing. They think if they don't wear pants or don't cut their hair or don't wear makeup, that they're righteous. That's works. That will never make you righteous. If you're not righteous here, it doesn't matter what you put on or don't put on. You're not righteous. Well, you know, I don't watch TV, so I'm righteous. That, that's a lie. That's a lie. Whether you watch TV or don't watch TV has nothing to do with your righteousness. When you realize you're righteous, it'll govern what you watch on TV. Amen, because I'm righteous. I'm right with God. Do, do you see that? It's so important. Because, because people that try to go about and produce their own righteousness, are not, on, not only are they missing out on what Jesus died to give them, they're missing out on the covenant blessings that they were brought into. Because the covenant is by faith. Every, every, every part of the covenant is by faith. When Jesus died and brought in the second covenant, it expanded the first covenant and gave us more. But it's all by faith. Everything that Jesus gave me, i got to receive it by faith. Everything that Jesus brought me into, I have to receive it by faith. Because my part of the covenant is faith and obedience. And my part in salvation is faith and obedience. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Makes me want to say like Prophet Ford, obey God. Amen. Obey God. What did God say? Am I helping you with this? I'm almost done. Mm. There's, so, there's so much there. I said there's so much there. I, I, I remember one time a lady came to me. And she wanted prayer. Prayer for healing. And so I met with her. And uh, she had a, a certain type of cancer. And she kept saying this to me. Well, God ought to heal me. God should heal me. Now, don't, don't misunderstand. She was, she was hurting. She was struggling with her faith. She didn't know how to believe God. And finally, I said, dear sister, why should God heal you? Uh, well, I keep the Ten Commandments. Now, she didn't like my response. I said, no, you don't. Because you can't keep the Ten Commandments in yourself. If, if, you've, if, if you've ever looked at a woman or a man lustfully, you just broke the Ten Commandments. Right? 
If you've ever lusted after what somebody, if you've ever coveted your neighbor's stuff, you just broke the Ten Commandments. See, what she was talking about is I don't commit adultery, I don't commit fornication, I don't lie. Well, maybe. But if you lust, you might lie. And if you lie, you'll commit adultery. Or you might. Am I right? If you'll lie to me, will you steal from me? If you steal from me, would you lie to me? You would. So here's my point. I wasn't trying to be ugly to her. I tried to help her. I said, sister, you are healed by what Jesus did and what Jesus paid for. Jesus paid for your healing. You're not healed because you deserve it. If you're waiting till you deserve it, keep waiting. The covenant, God did not enter a covenant with Abraham because Abraham deserved it. He entered into a covenant with Abraham because Abraham believed God. Is anyone in here before you got saved, you willfully disobeyed God. You knew what you were doing was sin. Probably, probably, probably every hand could go up. But you did it anyway. God didn't come to you and say, now look, when you start serving me and you get everything together, just come on to the altar and I'll save you. What what, what what Paul say in Romans? He said, God commends His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, He sent Jesus to die for us. One translation says, while we were of absolutely no use to God whatsoever, Jesus died for us. And, and, and what happened when you got born again? You were made righteous. You, you might have been committing sin just the day before. You might have been an adulterer just the day before. Maybe you were living in adultery then. You were fornicating then. Those of you who don't know what that is, shacking. You were shacking then. But you came to the Lord shacking. And got saved, shacking. And were made righteous, shacking. And then you realize shacking isn't right. And you quit shacking. But you stayed righteous. But you didn't get any more righteous when you quit shacking. Amen. I remember Matt Gober. He was in our church. And he said, he said he was sitting in a church one time after he had been saved just a little while. And he was living with this old girl. And he said the evangelist was preaching hell hot. And he said he kept talking about them fornicators. Fornicators. All fornicators. And Max said, I was sitting there going, Amen. Amen. And, and for whatever reason, he thought he was talking about gladiators. Fornicators, gladiators. And he said, I thought, whoo, them gladiators, them, them fornicators must be some bad guys. You know? And he said, after service, I went right up to him. And I shook his hand and said, thank you. Thank you for that sermon. He said, what are them fornicators? They must be bad guys. Now, he's in church with the girl he's fornicating with. And the, and the evangelist explained, that's someone that's, that's living with someone, having sex with someone that they're not married to. And Mac said, I figured out, I'm a fornicator. And he said, I, I went back and told her, I said, all right, baby, you got to hit the road because we can't be fornicating. Now, now think about this. Was he saved? Was he, if, if he was saved, was he righteous? Was he fornicating? Yep, but he didn't have knowledge. He had put his faith in Christ, but didn't have knowledge. 
once knowledge came, when knowledge shows up, you got to make a choice. If you don't know it's wrong, you can't be held accountable. But once you know it's wrong, that's why he said, remember we read in Romans? He said, God instituted the law so that the whole world would be guilty. The law is not sin. The Apostle Paul said the law serves a good purpose. He said, I wouldn't have known sin unless the law told me. But then he made the statement, once I'm born again, I'm not under law. I'm under grace. That's why the covenant is a perfect picture of grace. Because the covenant came to a man called Abraham, who we don't know whether he deserved it or not. The Bible says all have sinned, so we know that he sinned. But God found a man that would believe him. In closing, I want to ask you this question today, my family. Will you believe everything that God said about you? Because if you'll believe everything God said about you, your whole life will change. Any guilt, any shame, any condemnation that you've been dealing with, if you will simply today believe everything God said about you, that will leave your life and you will realize that you are indeed righteous before God. But I got to believe what God said about me. I got to believe what God said about me. Now, I got about three minutes. You know, I was... uh, I was born again 47 years ago. And uh, now I haven't lived perfect. I, I've spent some time being carnal. But that's when I gave my life to Christ. There came a time in my young adult years I had to repent and, and turn back to some things of God. But that's when it happened, 47 years ago. I preached my first message 39 years ago. 16 years old, preached it on a Thursday night at our midweek service at Revival Fires Tabernacle in Dalhart, Texas little church my parents pastored. It probably wasn't a very good sermon. I know it was too long because a lady told me after service it was too long. <laughs> That's all right. That hadn't changed. <laughs> People say, boy, you preach long. Nobody ever taught me how to stop. It's just. But if you come on Wednesday nights, you know I can do an hour of power. But this is an important time. Because in any given service, I don't know everybody who's here. I don't know everybody that's watching online. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what is going on in your life. You could be sitting here today in your finest, and yet your life's a wreck. You could be sitting here today in what nobody thinks is a very good suit of clothes at all, but yet you're in right standing with God, and you're loving your life. When Jesus asked the disciples... He said, who do men say I am? They said, some say Jeremiah, some say one of the prophets. He said, who do you say I am? It's not who Jesus was to grandma or mom or dad or Aunt Sophie or Pookie and Ray Ray or Carlos, Jim Bob, Joe Bob. Who is Jesus to you? If you can say in your heart that he's not your savior, then you're not ready to meet him. If you can say he's not my Lord, then you've never been saved. When you get born again, Jesus becomes your Lord.
It's more than just being saved from hell. Peter said that when you're born again, you receive all things that pertain to life and godliness. You have answers where you had no answers before. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? There are basically three kinds of people here today. With that first person watching online as well. You're here today and you're not where you need to be with God. You're not right with Him. There's that missing place in your life. The second kind of person is you're here today and you know Jesus and you're born again. But there's a coldness, there's an aloofness, there's, there's not this tenacity. And the third person is you know that you're right with God, you're living for God for everything that you're worth. You're on your way to heaven. In this holy moment, in this solemn moment, whether you're watching online or sitting here in this room today, there comes a time with every man, woman, boy, and girl, every black man, every black woman, every white woman, every white man, every Hispanic man, every man of whatever nation, color, tribe, or tongue, there comes a time when you have to be judgment day on us and you have to say and you have to make a decision about who Jesus is to you. If you're under the sound of my voice today and you fit the profile of either one of those first people, you're either you're not living for God, you know you're not living for God, or you're cold, you're lukewarm, you're away from God with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, I'm going to simply count to three. If that's you in any one of those cases, by the time I hit three, you have your hand raised up, ready to change. One, two, three. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. I saw that hand. I saw that hand, brother. God bless you. Lift your hands. Don't let this moment pass you by. Don't let this moment pass you by. Don't let this moment pass you by. That's why you're here today. That's why you made this decision. You came to church today and you don't know why. This is why. Watching online, if you made that decision. Now, if you raised your hand today, I want to pray with you. Not necessarily going to ask you to come to the front, but I want to pray with you. I want to help you get things right with God. As I begin to pray, if everyone under the sound of my voice, if you just pray with me, those that have raised their hands are going to pray. You're going to pray. Say this. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I believe that Jesus Christ died, that he rose again, and he's alive now at the right hand of the Father. And I believe that He's my Lord and my Savior. I receive Him now. Father, thank You for making me righteous and making me holy. In the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. If you do me a favor, brother, Pastor Larry, raise your hand. Brother James, raise your hand. Uh, Pastor Ron, would you raise your hand? Uh, let me see, who else do I have here? Uh, this pastor on, raise your hand. If you said that prayer today, if you would look around and see the person that has their hand raised, if you would just maybe make contact with one of them and just let them know that you prayed with with me today, if you prayed that prayer, any of these men that have their hands up, amen, if you would just let them know that you prayed that prayer with me, here's why. We'd like to send you a packet. We'd like to send you some information that will help you grow in the things of God. 
uh, we have a next steps class that we're beginning and I would like to get you involved with that. So if you do that for me uh, and you don't have to say anything other than I prayed with Pastor Steele and give them your information and we'll get that to you. Amen. Let's stand up today, shall we? Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Oh, glory. Would you look to your left and then look to your right? See that person on the left and right of you? That's your brother or sister. Ah, we're going to be in heaven, all of us together one day. Oh, glory to God. Isn't God good? Well, don't forget, of course, 6 o'clock tonight, we're going to be here ministering on a covenant of healing and believing God for great, great things. And uh, uh, God's so good to us. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, say it with me today. The vision of this church is to build people's faith and frame their world by the word of God. And you and I will always be world changers. God bless you.